Welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast. I'm Scott Neal, your host. Today we have Brad Hurdle. Brad's a great friend of mine, part of Forest Park Church, and is doing a fantastic job just encouraging people and challenging people to become their best. Brad has experienced a lot of tragedy in his life and has overcome tremendous obstacles as we'll get into today. So it's an honor to have Brad with us. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We value your opinions, your ideas, your comments. I read every comment that anybody writes and want to get the podcast as good as it possibly can be. So we'd love to know what you think. If you will, please go by iTunes and give us a five-star rating and leave a comment or a question. And again, we'll read each one and consider your ideas and comments to make it better. Thanks so much for listening, and let's get to the interview with Brad Hurdle. Welcome, Brad. Thanks, Scott. It's an honor to be here. Man, we are so glad you are here. How's life going overall? Going great, man. Yeah. Going great. No in, complaints. In the middle of summer, and it's hot. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of rain. Yeah, you lots guys, of humidity. You guys keeping busy for the summer? Yeah, yeah, we are. Of course, you know, as you know, we're getting ready to head to Ecuador pretty yeah. soon, so we're excited about that. And we've yeah. um, been in and out of town a few times, you know, been to the beach, stuff like that. So it's yeah. been a good summer so far. Oh, great. Well, let's introduce you to our audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what life looks like for you. I know you're married. you got some boys. Just tell us a little bit about what's going on. Okay. Um, I'm married to Ginger. We have been married for, I better get this right, let's see, almost 20 years. Wow. Um, Coming up in September. Um, I have two sons, Noah, who is 17, and he will be a rising senior, and Sim, who will be a rising sophomore. He's currently 15. So. Now, and both Noah and Sim are involved in sports, so they're, I know they're always busy. Yeah, they are always busy. They play a lot of soccer and some baseball, so we stay busy. You know, the sports now are often year-round not just seasonal so so they really enjoy it so and i enjoy doing it too i I was thinking this morning about how you know my my oldest noah is going to be a senior and how it's going to be coming to an end here pretty soon and gosh man got a little uh sad yeah it goes quick now you don't coach or anything your boys i used to to? i used to when they were younger kind of in the rec leagues and coming up i coached them a lot Uh, not in soccer because i never played soccer so i didn't know anything about soccer um, but in baseball, because I played a lot of baseball. Okay. So I coached them coming up in baseball. And it was actually good, according to them, that um, I didn't coach them in soccer yeah. because I know nothing about it. So sometimes <laughs> I'll make, you know, as a parent, you right. make this comment, and they look at me like, Dad, you do not know what you're talking yeah. about. And I know you're a big basketball fan. I am. I did love, you play basketball too? I did. Okay. I did. I played basketball and baseball. And um, basketball is probably my favorite sport. Yeah. But so. neither Noah nor Sim play no, baseball. I mean, basketball. No, they, baseball. Pl- they played a little bit of direct basketball okay. when they were younger, and they got to the point where they just enjoyed soccer right. um, so much that they ended up having to make a choice between one of the two, and they yeah. both chose soccer. Yeah. So I know your wife, Ginger, is very involved, too, with sports, just watching and yeah. supporting them. Yeah, and, sports mom. Yeah. You know, she's correct. she's involved. She does. She's on the board of the local soccer club here and does a lot of work with that. So, yeah, she's enjoyed it. Well, you got a great family, and it's a real honor to get to – Thank you. To introduce you to our audience here on the Imperfect Leader Podcast. So it's great to have you. Now, a lot of people do not know you. Some people obviously do uh, who are listening, but many don't. So you are a pharmacist locally, mm-hmm. well, I guess about, what, 45 minutes away from here? Yeah, City? 45, 50 minutes away or so. Um, I work with Todd's Pharmacy, okay. and I'm a partner in the store over in Gates County. Um, but we have several other four stores total. Mm-hmm. But I've um, always been a partner and managed the one over there for the last, actually, 15 years. Wow. 
So you've been so, in the same store? Same store. Okay. Yeah, making that drive every day. Yeah. Now, how did you end up choosing to be a pharmacist? And that's a, something think, that you had a dream of as a child, or just how did you get into it? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, actually, when I was 15 years old, I got my first job at a local pharmacy in Hertford, which is, I grew up in Perquimans County at Woodard's Pharmacy. Many people, you know, locally will know Woodard's Pharmacy. They're famous for their- Yeah, that's about 30 minutes outside of Elizabeth City. Right, right. right. Famous for the orangeades and ice cream and stuff like that. So um, he would- um, Kind of an old fashioned pharmacist. Yeah, it's really cool. And he would, Charles Woodard, the owner, would hire a lot of high school kids. So I got a job there and worked there the whole way through high school. So when it came time to go to college, um, I was, you know, I, I dreamed of going to University of North Carolina, and that's where I, I got in, fortunately. So I just thought, hey, I'd, I'd watched him, and I thought this seems like a good profession. Um, so that's kind of where I went. But it really, honestly, looking back, it wasn't a lot of, um, wasn't a lot of thought that went into that per se. You know, it wasn't like I, my whole life, dreamed of being a pharmacist or anything like that. It just was kind of, at that point, at least, a logical thing for me to do, I guess. Right. Yeah. Now, what does that journey look like from coming? I mean, there may be someone listening who goes, I'd love to be a pharmacist, mm-hmm. you know, pharmacist. I That's a, something that I've wanted to become or whatever. What does that look like from high school through becoming, you know, I don't know, you graduate as a pharmacist or how does well, that work? Well, it's actually changed somewhat, okay. you know, because I'm getting, I'm getting older now, right. so it's a little different now. But when I went to school, it was pretty much, you know, you go to, I went to University of North Carolina, first two years, you take your general stuff. And then at the end of the second year, you apply to pharmacy school. Okay. Then if you get in, you spend the next three years. So a total of five. All right. Now it's a minimum of six. And I think for most people now it's turned into, you go get a degree. Mm-hmm. And after your four-year degree, you apply to pharmacy school, and then you go another four years. Okay. So it's become almost gone from five to eight years for some okay. people. Now, some people still do squeeze in yeah. a little earlier, but I think that's pretty rare. Okay. Is there an overabundance of pharmacists? Well, um, initially, over, over the years, it's always, there was always a shortage. But now, everything you read, I think they've opened up more pharmacy schools around. Okay. Um, and so I don't think it's... Um, you know, there's not as much of a need for pharmacists now, and it's a little bit tougher to get a job. There was a point in time, I mean, this is going back mm-hmm. 15 years ago, maybe or more. Where so when you entered into the workforce? Yeah, was, well, I've been in the workforce even a lot longer okay, than that, okay. you know, but, um, but even when I went in the workforce, um, there was a des- pretty desperate need for mm-hmm. pharmacists, you know, and it was um, you know, really easy to get a job. And they were doing signing bonuses. They were doing all wow. kinds of things. But now um, it's not quite like that anymore. Healthcare's changed a lot sure. just in the last five years. I can imagine. Uh, you yeah. know, so the demand for pharmacists is not quite as high. Yeah. You know, now in the in the um, pharmacy where you are, is it pretty busy? It is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a local, obviously very yeah. very small town, but we're the only pharmacy in that county. Um, so only pharmacy in the county. Mm-hmm. And oh. actually, you know, Gates County is a big county landmass, yeah. but mm-hmm. not population. Right. I mean, you know, the populations I make ten, eleven thousand maybe total. Yeah. And a lot of people in Gates County actually live just as close to the Suffolk, Virginia area as they mm-hmm. do to us. So right. it's not like you necessarily, and they work up there, yeah. you know, so it's not like you necessarily get all those people. But yeah, yeah, we, we're, we're a pretty solid local 
small town pharmacy. Yeah, and you guys can offer some things that some of the big pharmacies probably can't. Just the customer service, getting to know people really well. It's that local small town. Yeah, kind of field yeah, which you just you just yeah. don't see anymore unless yeah. it's a very very small town because yeah. you know pharmacy small pharmacies like like mine just don't make it. Yeah, in big towns. Yeah, I would anymore. imagine CVS and and Walgreens and things like that have really. Kind of right. put a squeeze on some of those local they have, pharmacies. They have. Yeah. It's got really different. And, you know, with healthcare changing so much, it's even harder and harder for us because, you know, we're obviously very dependent on, you know, selling prescriptions mm-hmm. and things like that, whereas a lot of those stores now sell, their, you know, the giant stores. Yeah. They sell so many other things. So so that's it's, it's, been, it's become tougher yeah. for small pharmacies. Now how many employees sure. do you manage oversee there at your pharmacy? Um, it varies from time to time. If you include part-time people, probably 8 to 10 yeah. generally. Okay. And you have, uh, I would imagine, in a small community in Gates County, you have a lot of the same repeat customers mm-hmm. over and over again. Not yeah. a lot of new people probably coming in? Not as many. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you always, you always obviously in a business sure. need new people, but, um, but yeah, not as many because you don't have a, it's really not a big draw for mm-hmm. people to move there. Sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, so yeah, you have a lot of the same and it's, I think generally probably percentage wise an older population for yeah. sure. You know, yeah. people that have been Well, now you oversee eight to 10 employees. Mm-hmm. So there are many people listening here who are either a pastor of a church or they own their own business or, uh, you know, maybe looking at starting a, a business. I'm sure it comes with its own challenges as far sure. as employees, uh, you know, turnover, hiring the right people. Right. Uh, how do you kind of is, is how challenging is that to oversee employees and and keep them all moving in the same direction and make sure you hire the right person and maybe even let go of somebody that you know yeah. is kind of standing in the way of of, of efficiency, etc. Is that something that you thrive in? You enjoy that part of leadership, or is that a tough part? Uh, that was probably the toughest part okay. for me, you yeah. know, because you're dealing with people's lives and yeah. you're dealing with the, you know, the dynamics of just dealing with people, yeah. you know, you were all yeah. tough to deal with sometimes, sure. you know? Um, so that's, that's definitely managing people. I mean, I like it and mm-hmm. it's good. And I've learned a lot over sure. the years, but it is definitely the toughest part. Yeah. You know? Now, are you directly involved in, in the hiring and the firing and the training and all that? Or do you have that delegated to somebody else? Or I'm pretty work? much okay. it. I mean, for the most part, I have partners in my mm-hmm. business who, you know, weigh in on things. But as far as that store goes, I pretty much manage it and make the make the decisions about that. So it's like I said, it, it, that can be yeah. difficult. And hiring, you know, hiring people is, is, is a tough thing. Yeah. And know? I'd imagine in Gates, Gates County, the pool of even new employees are not, you know, the pool's not that large. Very small. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where it becomes really, really challenging. You know, you know, it's, it's hard to find. It is. Yeah. The pool is so small. Yeah. It's just hard to find people. Now in your day to day leadership there, do you find the customers most challenging or do you find the employees most challenging? And that's a tough question. Maybe, yeah. It depends. You know, yeah. it kind of varies up and down, but overall good. You know, I mean, I've got, I've had, um, I've got people that have worked with me for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, that are extremely valued employees and, um, valued people. So that part, you know, is up and down, but it, but it varies. So you don't have a large turnover rate there as far as employees go? No, it, and it goes in spells, yeah. you know, like anything else. You know, you'll have, you'll have a spell where you, years where you'll have the same, and then you'll have one or two leave. And see, yeah. we, in a small business like that, you know, when one person leaves, because you, you really can't hire people just to be extra, right? Sure. So, so one person leaves, it's a big deal, mm-hmm. you know, so because that person's that, that part of the, the day is kind of gone. So yeah. you have to plug somebody else in if you, and or you have to get somebody to plug in. Now, over the 15 years you've been there, have you led? Have you been in a management role yes. for the entire 15 years? What, what do you wish you would have known 
you know, when you first started managing that you've learned? Because I know you listen to podcasts, you read mm-hmm. books, you pay attention mm-hmm. to a lot of leadership principles today. You, you've matured, you've grown, you've been married now for a number of years, you got right. kids. I mean, it's you're obviously probably a different person today than when you first began to manage. Right. Yeah. Right. So what's something you wish you would have known back when you first started managing there at Todd's Pharmacy? Well, I mean, I think it goes back, you know, big picture goes back to just simply leadership, you know, yeah. learning, becoming a better leader, which is a you know, lifelong process, sure. as you know. But there were things that I that I didn't know or didn't take serious enough, I think, in the beginning. And I still struggle with that, yeah. honestly, sometimes. You know, when you talked about dealing with employees or dealing yeah. with, you know, that that part is, is still hard for me, you know, yeah. kind of realizing that there are times when, you know, you, you have to be a little more confrontational. I'm not naturally an yeah. extremely confrontational person, you know, so um, accepting that that's part of your job and yeah. it's the best thing to do, you know. You know, I mean, looking, looking at things from a long-term sure. perspective instead of short-term. Yeah. You know, now your hard. personality, the way you're 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 made up, do you have a tendency to kind of take the slack for people rather than confront them? I do, yeah. and, I, and I've tried to get better at that. Yeah. You know, because you know, like you said, that's becoming a better leader. But I do tend to, um, you know, I'm Enneagram Enneagram three. Wow. Let me talk about. Yeah. So I'm more of a feeler. You right. know, so that part has been has been probably the most difficult part for me initially when I got out of school you know this is going way back you know as a pharmacist you still I mean I wasn't initially like a leader of anything but you did kind of lead people when it was initially well you know you're younger so you're probably you're leading older people so that was difficult yeah you know because older people don't always receive younger supervisors very well um, now, you know, it's funny how things change. You look up and you're the oldest person in there yeah. almost, you know. So that's, that's been a little different. But, yeah, yeah, you know, leadership and management is an ongoing thing. You must continually grow with that. If you don't, you, you, you know, you just don't do well. Yeah. Well, many people would look at your life and, you know, see you as a, a pharmacist and been at the same place for 15 years and doing well and you're – your boys and your marriage and your home and just your life overall and say, wow, it must be nice, you know, to have a perfect life. It must be nice to have everything together. But life has not always been great. I mean, you've had your challenges. You and I have talked at length before. You've you've spoken here at Forest Park on a number of occasions. You've shared some stories from your past, from just different challenges that you've had, who these challenges have made you who you are today and some very difficult uh, parts in your life. So tell us a little bit about kind of growing up as Brad Hurdle what, what was life like you know as a as a kid as a young man and you went through a few things that were sure. tough I know uh, you lost your father mm-hmm. somewhat early in life and right. you had some other things that went on and you also experienced a tragedy in right. your life that many people do not know right. and I'd like for you to talk a little bit about some of these things that you've experienced in life and has made Brad who Brad is today sure um, well when I think about that I think about Really, there are three big events, okay. I would say. You know, we all have our ups and downs in life, but three big events have kind of marked my life. Um, and I'll, I'll do them a little out of chronological order here just because, honestly, that's how I dealt with them. Mm-hmm. But I grew up um, out way out in rural Brooklyn's County. I was the oldest of four boys. There's a pretty good gap between me and my brothers age-wise. Um, and I was you're, al- you're the oldest. I'm the oldest. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I was always the kid who, you know, did pretty well, pretty high achiever. You know, did well in school, good athlete. Um, you know, as I got into high school, I made some bad choices. You know, but I mean, definitely the kid who looks, you know, always appeared from the outside. He was going places. Um, 
And um, so I went on, went to high school, you know, some things happened. I went to college, University of North Carolina. As a end of my freshman year, um, I met a girl who, she was from Greensboro, and we were kind of smitten with each other and dated in, um, for the rest of the time there in college. You know, initially not real seriously because it was kind of college life. It's hard to date seriously in college sometimes, but we initially, as we got older, we got, we got more serious. And ultimately, um, she graduated a year before me, and I stayed there in pharmacy school, and she went on, and she went to grad school at UNC Greensboro, got her master's degree, and then we got married. And about six months after we got married, we, we were, it was always understood that we were going to live in Greensboro because I was from here. She was from Greensboro. Greensboro's a, you know, nicer right. town, a better place to live, especially when you're younger. So it was kind of established. Well, I took a job there in Greensboro, and I didn't like it. I mean, it was a crazy job, 24-hour chain drug store, and it was just mentally draining. And so I decided to look around for other jobs. And I had a niche because I had younger brothers, and I was pretty close to my younger brothers. And I wanted to be a little closer to them to see them grow up. So ultimately, I got a job in Greenville at the hospital there. So I moved there, and obviously, she, she already had a teaching job, which was really difficult at that time for her to kind of leave that job, which was kind of a big deal, but she did and she moved to Greenville and ultimately she found a teaching job and we've been married for six months. And one night we were on the way home. We'd actually been at the hospital that day. It was two days after Christmas visiting my, my youngest brother who had gotten sick while he was in town visiting us. And we left that night, it was late, a little before midnight and um, about a mile from the hospital in Greenville, I came to an intersection and I remember I had the blinking caution light and I slowed down and I looked and it was nobody on the road because it was almost midnight. And in the middle of the intersection, a, a car hit us on her side of the car. I was driving and car hit us going about 70 miles an hour with no headlights on. Hmm. And it was ultimately, it was a drunk driver, a guy who was drunk, high on drugs, hit us. And um, my, my first wife died hmm. there. Um, so I was 24 years old. And, you know, we had our, we were starting our life together, you know, obviously with big plans, big dreams, and then everything was kind of taken away, you know, there at that moment. So that was a real, real struggle for me, obviously going through that. But, you know, looking back now, that changed my life for the better. I mean, I, I mean, I have no doubt I would not be in front of you right now had that not happened in my life. So through that, um, God put some pretty cool people in my life. Um, ultimately led me to led me to Christ. I yeah. mean, had you asked me at that point in time, did you believe in God? I'd grown up kind of going to church. I mean, I would have said yes, but God wasn't an important part of my life at all. You know, I mean, yeah. God really wasn't on my radar, you know, and that changed everything. And um, so I began to follow Christ. Did that, did that incident, though, push you or push your perception of God closer to you or further away? I mean, I know that's a process, but I mean, initially— mm-hmm. Were you just filled with anger? Did you even consider God at that time? I'm talking about in the first few weeks after this tragedy. Oh, where were, where were you mentally? How did you feel? Oh, did the you... first the first few weeks was just total shock. Yeah. I mean, I was just I was destroyed. You yeah. know, I, I remember I was telling somebody the story the other day. I remember um, after it happened, or after it happened, I, I came back here for a couple weeks to to get out of there um, and um, you know stay with my family here. Yeah. And then I had a job, you know, so I had to go back to work and mm-hmm. I had to go back to the apartment and everything. And I just remember the first time I went back to Greenville and I was sitting on Greenville Boulevard in the, in the turning lane and traffic everywhere. And I yeah. remember this overwhelming feeling coming over me of like, 
how can these people be going about their normal life when two right. weeks ago a beautiful 24-year-old girl died? And, you know what I mean? Right. It was like this overwhelming feeling. So there's of, a sense of anger and, and yeah. just the whole universe needs to stop exactly. and acknowledge what's happened. And you know that yeah. that's crazy because yeah. you know they didn't know her. But it was like that overwhelming feeling sure. of my life stopped. How could everyone else's life not have stopped? Right. You know, so, so yeah, I think during that time, it's, it's for how, me. How long did you stay in that place? Well, I would I would say probably minimally several months. And wow. I mean, I, when I when I when I talk to people now about grief, you know, because yeah. I've had the opportunity to to connect with people that go through some really tough stuff. Um, what happened for me was that like reality came in waves. Hmm. It was like you know it would become a little more reality, and then you would think you're, you're beginning to accept it, and then woof, another wave of reality, and it just takes time and time. And you know that first year yeah. was really really difficult. I would imagine that you wondered whether or not you'd make it. Yeah, I mean in that year, oh, I did. I mean, I, I mean, I lost, and whether you cared if yeah, you made it or not. I did. I mean, I lost. 20 25 pounds because i mean eating wasn't even a priority for me i couldn't sleep i mean i would wake up with nightmares and i couldn't i couldn't sleep at all i didn't even want to go to sleep you know because i knew that you know did did a lot of people reach out to you i mean i imagine your family did but did you have some people that you were close to because i mean greenville was not your home nor was it her home right so you were somewhat alone there you hadn't been there that long right so i don't imagine you had a lot of friends as you had to go back to work well, that was act- a lonely time. actually, actually, looking back, it was a special time in that way too. You know, okay. I didn't appreciate it at the time sure. because I was just so full of grief. But um, I did. Of course, we had both families were yeah. awesome, but they were away, sure. you know, to a large extent. But I had um, a couple of several really good friends. You know, one of my friends who actually lives here now, and we're still good friends. He and his wife um, lived in the same apartment complex mm. as us, and we had become really good friends as couples, and we hung out, and we were, and so they were obviously devastated too, yeah. but I remember him, even to this day right now, he is, one of the reasons he's so special to me is that he was the guy who also worked every day, but would come over to my house um, during that time, and you know, 10 o'clock at night, and hang out with me till three o'clock in the morning, asking questions about life. Wow. You know, wondering about God. Yeah. Wondering about, you know, so, I mean, that at that you, time. You couldn't appreciate it then, but now you look back, yes. you realize that was somewhat of a lifeline for you. Exactly. It kept you moving, kept you focused on at least something in the future and to explore the deeper parts of life. Absolutely. Whether there's anything beyond this one. Is there a creator? Is there one up there somewhere out right. there who even cares about you right because you felt probably no care from any yeah you you feel so alone yeah you know you feel like you're on an island by yourself so just having somebody there who yeah who did not have the answers but somebody who would just sit with you and explore life and talk about life and ask the tough questions and that was a really special time plus even though i had not been on my job that job in greenville a long time there were several guys that i had already become really close to and who became just incredible friends of mine mm-hmm. and to this day we don't live close to each other now but we're still incredible friends i mean i had you know one guy was a um pastor's son pastor's yeah. kid and um he was he was probably one of the most compassionate guys i've ever known i mean he was there for me always you know always yeah. there um the other guy was just a fun guy hmm. you know he laughed he like and he brought that humor even when i didn't want to hear he brought that humor so i had some really 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 special people around me during that time brad talk to the to the person possibly listening to the podcast now who maybe has a friend 
who has gone through something extremely tragic in their life. And it could, you know, obviously with the death of your first wife, I mean, I can't even, you know, there's no words to describe the pain that you went through. And maybe someone's not experiencing that, but maybe they have a good friend who's an addict or they have a, a friend who's lost their parent recently. And they feel just, I don't even know what to do. You know, I feel so inadequate. I ask them how they're doing and, uh, you know, it seems empty, you know, and I put my arm around them, but they seem to shrug that off. But yet right. talk, talk to that person who's trying, you know, to be that friend to the person because you were that person in mm-hmm. the tragic moment and the devastation and, and those friends helped you. So what would you say to those who are trying to help? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, you often hear this when you talk about talking to people who've been through tough things about don't give the pat answers or don't give the, you know, try to answer. I mean, I think often we do that, you know, because we don't know. Just trying to help. We don't know what to say. It's not intentional. Um, But I would say, you know, focus on just being there and loving them. You know, understand that at that point in time, you may not get a lot back from them, you know, but, but what you're doing, you know, you're investing in them, being there for them long term will be something that they'll never ever forget and i think sometimes that's hard because you know you know when people go through tough things you know they have so many people there for them initially but the tough times are the month two months six months later when everybody else understandably has moved on with their life yeah you know so the people that that don't go away you know that continue to come back and continue to love on you and reach out to you even if it's something really small you know is is really important i mean because i look back there was one day i um i've I've got i got a ton of cards and letters and and things during all that time when that stuff happened and i i couldn't i couldn't receive them you know i would read them and appreciate them but it was like it didn't but one day i had put them in a box and this is probably a year ago went up in my attic and was just moving some stuff around and I found that box and yeah. I sat there and I read those letters. Wow. So many of them I didn't remember from the, from people, but they were so special. I mean, you know, and even all those years later, you know, so the, yeah. so the, the little things make so, such so a difference. So make the phone call. Yes. Send the card. You know, they may be in such a wave of emotion now and, and almost numb, right. but one day they will you know, benefit from that, from the love that you've poured into them. During yeah, absolutely. And I think so often we avoid those people. It's, yeah. it's sad to say, but we do because sure. we don't know what to say. We feel uncomfortable. We don't under, we don't have the answers. So we think, well, we have this human need to think that we should, helping somebody is giving them an answer. There are no answers in these yeah. situations. Usually it's just loving people, yeah. you know, and yeah. sometimes loving people is hard. And sometimes loving people means you step out of your own comfort zone a little, you know, to love them. So I think that's really important. So ultimately this tragedy led you to faith and following Christ Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, ultimately I, you know, and you've heard me tell this story before, but, um, about, I forget about four or five months after that, after it happened, um, my high school, Brooklyn's high school, um, brought in a speaker, Bobby Petroselli, who had had a similar thing happen to his wife way back. And um, I was invited to come, and I didn't want to come. I didn't want to go because I didn't want to. I didn't want to be around people, you know. Um, but my cousin, who's, who's much older now, but she was a senior then, and she begged me to come. And she, I mean, she put this together because she was majorly affected by what happened, you yeah. know, to my first wife. And um, so I went, and I met Bobby, and Bobby just like he's just he. I will never forget, you know, after after he spoke, which is a really powerful message. But I was still pretty numb. Mm-hmm. 
instead of walking up to me and just shaking my hand, he walked up to me and stood and looked at me and started crying right in front of me and then just embraced me. And he had never met me before, mm-hmm. never knew, but he, we could relate. And after that, he's a real, has a real dynamic faith. Yeah. And he, um, he just reached out to me continually. And he basically was probably the number one person that led me to a real relationship with Christ. Yeah. He still speaks today. I got an opportunity to hear him a few months ago. Yeah. Just a dynamic guy. All over America. Yeah. And still speaks pretty much. I mean, he does a lot of conferences, yeah. sports teams, and um, but still, still a lot of um, high schools, mm-hmm. you know, where he really, really impacts people. So, so he had, you know, he was definitely a godsend. Yeah. There's no doubt you know, in my life. So it's amazing. And no doubt it happened at just the right time. It got you an, away from the tragedy enough, a few months. You had to start thinking about, okay, I've got to move on now. Like right. life has got to move forward. Right. I've got work. I've got many, many years ahead of me. And he just, Bobby just came at the right time in the right mm-hmm. place. You can see that now. Then he's probably seen like, who is this guy that's going to try to, oh, yeah. I mean, he didn't he really helped, understand me. He helped me in so many ways. You know, one of the biggest ways was, you know, about eight months after it happened, we had to go through a long drawn out court case, which was a mm. trial, you know, because the guy who did it was convicted initially of second degree murder. And, um, so we, that was a very difficult time. And I was still, even though I'd come to know Christ and was yeah. following Christ, I was very angry. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that anger was kind of repressed inside me. So that was a really tough week, and I'll never forget him just kind of telling me. He said, he said, something you need to do. And I was like, what? And he said, what, what's your faith based on? Mm. You know, and I was, of course, you know, I was like, is this multiple choice? Yeah. I'm not sure. Love? You know, whatever. <laughs> he was like, your faith is based on forgiveness. Mm. And he said, you've got somebody you need to forgive because if you don't forgive him, he's going to, in essence, take two lives. Wow. He took her life, and he's going to take yours too. You won't die. But you will bring this anger into every relationship in your future. Yeah. So that was a that's some tough love power, there. It was a powerful moment. So you had to you had to actually be in the same room with this man who, who took the life of your for a wife. week for a week. Oh my goodness! Every day, all day through, a, uh, and it was a really dramatic court case. I mean, he was he was convicted of second degree murder, which is pretty uncommon at that time for drunk driving. But he was there were drugs in the car, and there were a lot of comments that he made after the fact um you know when when they went to go this was all testified to by police officers that when they asked him well they told him that he had killed somebody his or killed a young woman his remark was oh well she had to die sometime yeah so just stuff like that they used and again then ultimately he got convicted of second-degree murder but if you've ever been in a courtroom the um, defense lawyer polled the jury which basically means you can get on a jury and say, mm-hmm. is this your verdict? Yes, yes, yes. One guy changed his mind after it had been, you know, announced that he was convicted or he was, and you know, guilty of secondary murder. One guy changed his mind. So they had to go back into deliberations, and um, ultimately they settled on manslaughter because the other jury members just couldn't pull him over and they were afraid that it might be a um i guess a mistrial or whatever and might he might you know that's so that was pretty traumatic I can imagine. that was a tough tough time um so for a while we kind of the family we 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 had to fight to kind of keep him in jail i mean every year you had to write letters and ultimately i think he stayed in jail about five years yeah. i think something like that First couple of years, I was really active and involved in writing letters to try to keep to the parole board to try to keep him in jail. But you know, after a couple of years, I, just, I got to a point in my life where I was moving on. Yeah. 
you know and um so i kind of didn't pursue that as much after that so so yeah but it was tough time well bobby brought a tremendous amount of wisdom to you at that time and um had that not occurred had you not worked your way through forgiveness you no doubt would not be where you are today absolutely not i mean i mean and that's one thing that's you know you, you think about what what would you tell people i mean and initially, even when I started doing a lot of speaking in schools, I would tell my story. And a few times I had a people, a person would come up to me and tell me their story and about, you know, it might be something totally different. You know, I remember one lady came up and said, my husband cheated on me and left me. And I just have this anger towards him. And how do I forgive? And I just remember even then walking away. And I, I, I wasn't prepared to answer that question like I should have been, you know. And, and now I look back and I'm like, you know, sometimes, especially maybe in spiritual settings, we kind of go, forgiveness, forgiveness, mm-hmm. like it's a forgiveness button that we just mash it. We just pray one time and yeah. it's not. It's a huge, it's a So process. forgiveness is a, is a process yes. that you have to try to walk through, walk through, walk through right, over and over again until it really gets down into your, the very... Absolutely. Depth of your soul. And you have to really focus on what you're doing. You know, you're not, you know, forgiveness is not condoning what yeah. somebody else did to you. Yeah. Forgiveness is you deciding. So it's a decision. It is. Yeah. It is. But it's a decision that, that I guess you could say happens initially the first yeah. time, but it's a continual thing yeah. you have to revisit on and on, you know. I think a lot of people misunderstand forgiveness as a feeling. You yes. know, like I just, what well, I don't, I don't feel as if I've forgiven him. And what they're waiting for maybe is for the anger to go away or for the for compassion to kick in. And that's nearly impossible to feel compassion for someone, especially at the beginning of someone who's taken, you know, obviously the life of your wife away. Right. You're not going to have a lot of compassion for this person, you know, for years to come, maybe or ever. Right. Uh, you may not feel the sense of forgiveness, but it is a decision you make over and over again. And it ultimately and, releases you from the hold right. that person has. On and that's the important point right there. Yeah. It ultimately releases you because if not, you walk around with that anger inside you the rest of your life. And, yeah. and, and, you know, we'll get into this, but just the self-awareness part is understanding that, you know, there's a, there are a lot of things we walk around with inside us yeah. that hold us back. Yeah. And, you know, recognizing that's huge. Yeah. Well, that was the first thing yeah. that really impacted your life and changed the direction of how you, you, you walked. What are, what are the other two? Well, um, I stayed in Greenville for several years after that and continued to work my job. And then initially I just, I needed, I needed a change. So I had an opportunity to move back here, which, you know, like a lot of young people, I grew up, was like, I'm never coming back here. I mean, to visit, but not to live, you know? Well, I had an opportunity to get involved in a business, um, over in Hertford, a family care pharmacy, which is still there today. So, um, I became a partner in that business, moved back here, helped get that business started, and, um, you know, in, ended up working there for seven years before I went to Todd's. But several years after, not, well, actually not too long after I moved back here, not long at all, um, I was uh, getting ready to head out to work one day and um, running a little bit behind, and my phone rings. You know, that was back when we had home phones. Right. And... Um, I, I didn't want to pick it up, but I listened for the answering machine, and it was a lady I work with, and she said, Brad, if you're there, you need to pick up the phone. And I was like, oh, boy. And so I picked up the phone, and she proceeded to tell me that my dad had been killed that morning mm-hmm. in a trucking accident. My dad was a logger, and um, he would often um, 
get up really early, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning to take a load to the mill, which might be several hours away, and that's what had happened that day. He'd gotten up at 4.30 and cut through the back roads in uh, Chowan County, and um, there's a really sharp curve there that he had taken many times, many, many times, um, but he didn't make the turn. Mm. So um, my dad, my dad, you know, so it was like, here we go again, yeah. in a sense. You know, I'm going through it again. I'll never forget jumping in my car that day, and two of my younger brothers were in high school, and one of my other brothers was actually working over here, and as I left Elizabeth City, I met him on the other side of the road, so I had to flag him down and tell him. We went to the high school to pull my two brothers out of high school to tell them this. I mean, it was just a really, really traumatic event. Um, and what made that even more difficult at that time for me um, was that um, when I first moved back here, um, I think I'd come to know I'd come to know Christ, you know, and I was following Jesus. But that probably sounds crazy, but I had a little bit of a, a little religious, maybe, or a little bit of a, a savior com I don't complex or something. I don't know. But anyway, there were some issues in my family, and I think that I. When I came back here, because I had kind of survived the tragedy, I think I thought somewhere in my mind that I could solve these problems. Mm -hmm. Well, I found out that I could not. Yeah. <laughs> so my dad and I, there were some, there were some, my dad and I had not always gotten along real well through this. And um, right before he died, um, there were some things going on in the family I didn't agree with. And um, my dad and I had had a knockdown, drag out fight. I mean, not physical, almost came to that point, but not physical. And it was in a parking lot, actually, mm -hmm. and we ultimately, he went one way, I went another way. And we didn't talk for a week. Mm -hmm. And then, I think it was a Wednesday or something, I went up to my mom and dad's house and talked to him, you know, small talk, nothing about, any, you know, our argument or anything like that. But we did talk the next morning is when he got killed. Oh my goodness. So one of the hardest things for me, again, was the whole forgiveness thing, you know, of, um, really forgiving myself yeah. you know because even though even to this day there's some things I still didn't agree with so I'm, it's not like I was totally in the wrong or he was whatever but it's you know just leaving it like that was really tough mm. so um that that was a, that was that was a really hard thing and, and this year's been a little bit difficult for me because actually my dad died when he was 48 and I'm 48 now wow. so this year I've often yeah. thought about that yeah. you know that I'm the age my dad was you know when he when when he passed away so that was that was kind of event number two that was really difficult now brad did that when you went through the tragedy of your dad dying did that stir up a lot of the of the of the pain and some of the struggles of of your wife and the death of that all of that just kind of began yeah. to stir up because i would imagine emotionally you know we have some some scar tissue i guess mm. you know we kind of bury some things and 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 hopefully that we can you know, move on, and right. then something like this happens, and the funeral, and the memories, and all of this. I can imagine the the emotional trauma of that. Yeah, yeah, it did. It stirred up a lot. Um, you know, my and first, how many years again was this after? Two and a half, had? maybe three, two and a half to three at the most. So it's only three years. Well, maybe let's see. That was ninety seven. No, it was a little longer than that. Okay. It was it was four. Still or so. not very long. So not not a real long time. No, no. I mean because those first, you know, that first year after my first wife died was a fog. Yeah, you know, I mean that you're like you know, so after that it's just a so matter. So you you, of you just get long. back up moving again, right? And about three years after the first initial year mm -hmm. of fog, your dad dies. Yeah. Wow. Yep. 
So that was that was event number two that was really difficult. And yeah, it did stir up some emotions, you know, a lot of emotions. And now but, you're having to worry about or struggle through forgiving yourself. Yes. You forgave the, try to continue to forgive the man who took your wife. Now you've got to do the same thing to you. Yes. And, and that's, I want, I want to home in on that. I'm glad yeah. you said that because, you know, when we think about forgiveness, you know, we obviously we often think about forgiving someone else who's wronged us, mm-hmm. right? But one of the, obviously the hardest people to forgive is ourselves, And that's what so many people don't do. You know, they don't work towards forgiving themselves. They punish themselves, you know. And, and what you do when you do that is that if you don't forgive you, again, that anger, that, 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 that feeling is going to come out of you and it's going to manifest itself yeah. in all of your other relationships. Did you find the forgiving of yourself more difficult? Yes. Wow. Absolutely. You know, I mean, and took longer and had to remind yourself. Oh, I still, again again. still at times now, you know, struggle with it a little. You think about it, you know, and it's been 20 years. Yes. Could I have done something different? You know, could you know, and not an active, like it gets me down kind of thing, but it's, but it does. You still think about it. It's it's so difficult to forgive yourself. Yeah. No, I think, I think often we, you know, as Christians, we, we love Christ. We love Jesus, you know, but sometimes you got to ask yourself, how well am I loving me? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, what, it, what did this tragedy with your dad do in your spiritual life? Did it push you closer to God or did you take a step away for a while or how did you, how did it affect? Um, ultimately, ultimately it put, I think it, it continued to push me closer to God. Um, I had, I had had a lot of conversations with my dad about spiritual things after mm-hmm. I moved back. And, now was and, he, was he a, a, a Christian? He was, okay. but I struggled with that, you know, for okay. a while because, you know, again, and you've helped me with this a lot, you know, coming to Forest Park. But you, but again, you know, when I first came to know Christ, I mean, I loved Jesus, but it was more of a, it's like God's had to get the religion out of me yeah. all these years. Yeah. You know, and part of that when that happened was just like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what my dad believed, what he did. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, there were, there were things like that, that that I really, really struggled with. Maybe I should have approached that different. You know, we should have, you know. But my dad was open and receptive. Well, my dad had struggles. You know, sure. he did. He, I mean, he, there were, you know, life had kind of, um, had kind of beat him down in a lot of ways and he had a lot of struggles. Um, so there were often times when my dad looked at me and would say, you know, o- kind of overcoming the tragedy with my first wife and would say, I just don't know how you can overcome that. Hmm. I don't know. Cause he didn't understand it. He, he kind of resented, resented God hmm. because of what had happened, yep. you know? So um, so yeah, that was, that was, that was event number two. It was really difficult. Um, and then as I got older, um, especially as, as I started becoming more self-aware, you know, and, and growing, um, I look back in my life and I realized I got to a point in my life where I was like, like you mentioned before, I was like, well, you know, I'm very blessed. Right. I mean, I've got a great wife. I've got great kids. Um, I've always had a, you know, I've been owner of a business. I've had a job where financially I've been comfortable. So what do I have to complain about? Right. But there was this emptiness inside me, hmm. you know, and I, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I mean, I love Jesus. It wasn't that I, you know, but, and I, and I look back and it was like, ultimately I felt God kind of not really speak to me, but kind of impress upon me that there was something that I hadn't dealt with in my life. And that basically forced me to go back into my childhood and kind of really actively deal with something that happened to me when I was uh, 11, between 11 and 12 years old, um, that I, I was sexually abused mm-hmm. for, for about a year. Not from a family member, yeah. basically from a person who um, 
befriended befriended my family. Yeah. You know, my family was um, my mom and dad had four kids all spread out. You know, I was a real active kid, involved in sports, wanted to be involved in everything. And this person kind of came in and took advantage of that, and basically um, that happened for that period of time. Um, the only reason it stopped was because there was another um, another young man who was at that time 18 who publicly accused him of doing it to him back when he was like 12 but went public about it. And when that came out, obviously my parents found out, and it was like, you know, you know, everything was, was, was brought public. So I was taken away from that situation, but just kind of went on in life. You know, it was like that happened. And then I was like in middle school and high school. Now, and did it, when, when you, when this first occurred at 11, were you traumatized at that time? I mean, as an 11 year old, did you start struggling with any kind of nightmares or depression or did things change in school? Was there any kind of outward signs of this no i mean i was i was pretty good at covering it up looking back i mean it was like i was always kind of i guess kind of an achiever Mm -hmm. and i mean school you know i did well in school Mm -hmm. continued to do well in school continued to do well in things so on the outside no one would look at me and think that that anything like this had happened they didn't see the result now looking back now myself um, as I got into high school, especially 10th grade on, I started making some pretty destructive decisions behind the, behind the scenes. And you think that was you know? connected to what happened at 11? I mean, I know some people would go, well, hey, teenagers will be teenagers. And that's true. I didn't have a ton of supervision, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I may have made a few of those choices anyway. But I know that a lot of the, it was this inner just – almost I won't say hatred of myself but mm. just this you know almost I, I projected this image of I'm great and looking back I was a pretty popular kid but yeah. I didn't feel like that mm. you know I mean I felt I was very broken inside and didn't know why so you really can't you know just look at the outside of a person no because they could have good grades do well in sports popular in school seem as if they've got everything together and yet internally right they're they're cracked absolutely you know, they're broken some tragedy has happened in their life or mm-hmm. sexual abuse or abuse at home or, or whatever right wow and as a kid obviously you you don't know what to make of that kind of abuse you don't know what to do sure. with it you don't know where to put it you don't know how to how to scream for help you don't even think you, you just want to forget about it you know yeah. you just want to repress it and get away from it and it'll go away and, and some i did for years i did yeah. that i mean i would have not have denied it you know it wasn't like it didn't happen but it was like very few people knew, mm-hmm. you know, my wife knew, Ginger knew, and a friend of mine knew, but those are the only two people I'd ever told up until probably five years ago. Yeah. Um, so this happened in 11, and when did, you, when did you start really thinking about it? And you said that you felt as if God just impressed, hey, something in your life you've not dealt with. How old were you then? Well, it happened a few times over the years, probably, okay. probably after my dad died, um, in my maybe upper 20s, mm-hmm. you know, when... when you begin to think about it? Yeah, it okay. would come up a little. Um, it came up one time, at, in my mind at least, at a spiritual event I was associated mm-hmm. with. You know, it was kind of like came up, but then I would just push it away, mm-hmm. you know. And then, really, honestly, it was about when I was upper 30s to 40. And that's I, when you feel like God just said, okay, you've got to deal with it. You've yes. been pushing it down, avoiding it for years. Yes. And in fact, you know, I... um. Was there, a, was there an event that happened that made you do this? Or was it just this gnawing sense you yeah, had internally? Gnaw- or did it you was talk this, with someone and that brought it out I or did. what? Actually, that was back when Bob Chambers was on staff here. Mm-hmm. 
And um, Bob and I knew each other, but um, we'd never really done anything together. We went to lunch one day, yeah. I think, um, IHOP, I think. Yeah. And we hung out and ended up talking for two hours or whatever and just sharing our life with yeah. each other. And I remember I went home that day after meeting with him, and I sat in the chair in my den, and I was just sitting there, and I had this overwhelming feeling from God that there was something, you know, that it was almost like God was saying, Brad, you need to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, I could reach back out to Bob. Mm-hmm. You know, Bob, you know, Bob's a nice guy. Yeah. He would understand. And I looked on the floor, and I thought, I'm going to email Bob. And my laptop was on the floor, and I stood there and stared at it for like five minutes. You know, it was like, yeah. finally I picked it up, mm-hmm. and I emailed Bob, and then um, – I ended up meeting with Bob on Wednesday mornings for, gosh, probably off and on for probably a year. Yeah. I mean, maybe not every Wednesday, but right. uh, so Bob just, you know, he helped me, man. He helped me walk through it, helped me walk through the some of the trauma, helped me talk about it. And yeah. that was probably the first time I'd ever reached out to anybody to really talk about how it made me feel. And and um and that was difficult, but honestly, even today, I'm still walking through that. Sure. In a lot of ways, yeah. you know. So, wow. So those three events have kind of been the events that have kind of marked my life. Did you, you know? did you ever, I'm just wondering, did you ever struggle with the sense of, um, you know, is God angry with me or, you know, some kind of, I mean, you've gone through the sexual abuse as a child mm-hmm. and then the death of your first wife and then the death of your father. I mean, it's almost this sense of what is up here, God, like, you know, am I just a horrible person? Are you angry? Are you even there? I mean, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, one of those events right. in, in many people's lives would be devastating. Mm-hmm. And to go through three of them like that and to process all of that and, 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 and still survive and, you know, have a good job and a family and a right. leader and, and all these things, I mean, that's uh, that's a lot. I have. I mean, I've, I mean, I've thought about that for, before for sure, but I think over the years— and I wouldn't say I feel like this all the time, but I definitely, definitely see where that adversity in my life has has definitely drawn me closer to God. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think that's kind of one of the big messages that I like to give people is that, you know, we're all going to go through adversity, maybe things that are not as tragic as that, hopefully, you yeah. know, but, but still, adversity is adversity for people. And I think that can be the very thing that draws you closer to God. It, it did for me. I mean, yeah. I know for sure right now, had I not gone through some of the things I've gone through, I would not have been as open, as open to God. You know, I would, I would not have felt that need mm-hmm. for God. Mm-hmm. You know, and it makes sense when you think, when I look back at myself about, you know, where I was always pretty good at putting up a front and achieving and being pretty successful, but inside broken, you know, it was like, yeah. I needed something to kind of like make me see my need for God you know so but on the on the other hand I mean I I think a lot about you know the limiting beliefs that we face in life and I've done some pretty deep work with that in the last year within myself and um it still has some effects you know some of my limiting beliefs were number one you know that whole I'm not enough Mm -hmm. I'm not good enough and this fear that I still struggle with off and on that when is the next thing going to happen sure and especially, you know, once you have kids, you know, that that amps, amps up even more. And, you know, so I've recognized that fear and tried to tried to. Well, you're, you're talking it. now about something that I know we we, you know, spend some time here at Forest Park working our way through. And that's just self-awareness, mm-hmm. just knowing, you know, who you are, uh, how you process emotion, 
you mentioned a moment ago about being a three, and you're referring right. to the Enneagram as we have kind of walked our way through some of that here at Forest Park, and we all kind of walk around with numbers. I'm a four. I'm a right. seven. You know, what does that mean? You know, and you kind of had to be here to just we've done a sermon series on it. We've done some classes on it, just trying to figure out what makes us tick and why we think the way we do because, you know, a three is going to handle a three on the Enneagram is going to handle tragedy differently or process it differently than maybe a seven or right. a four or a two. And so you, you've kind of worked your way through some self-awareness and you did that no doubt when you met with Bob and walked a year and how the tragedies affected you and then your own reading and, and learning. Right. That's been helpful to you, right? To understand who Brad is and oh, how man. Brad processes life and why you think the way you do and personalities and all that. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, I can't, I mean, I've, I've been on a personal growth journey and spiritual journey, sure. you know, for you know, since I was 24 and that yeah. tragedy happened with my first wife. I mean, yeah. I really have. I mean, and I love it. You know, well, I say I love it. Sure. You know, self-awareness is always a, lo- a love-hate thing. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> but, um, but it's definitely majorly impacted my life. I mean, you know, for example, like one of the things that, that I like to tell people that I need to tell myself too is that, you know, you look up one day and you recognize if, you're, if you become more self-aware that we're all telling ourselves a story hmm. inside our mind. Hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. if you think about it, we are. Some people think that's crazy, but we're really, we really are. We're yeah. telling ourselves a story continuously in our mind. So what story are you telling yourself about you? Mm. And that's been pretty empowering to me yeah. to ask myself, you know, that and realize that very often the story I'm telling myself is, number one, not true or based on mm. false stuff. And, and, you know, I mean, yeah. that holds us back, you know, and it helps us. To me, it, it keeps you from seeing God. Yeah. So and that's that, wow. That I mean, that just goes right into something I'm passionate about, and that's just how the gospel comes in with truth and helps to take out some of the, you know, if you if 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 you ask someone to write a story and then you give them a bunch of, um, you know, uh, things that are not true, and you give them lies, and you give them you know right. exaggerated statistics and and uh, you know things that are not true about their neighbors and you ask them to write a story and they're writing that story based on lies and then they begin to believe that um their entire life and their kids lives and their grandkids lives can be negatively impacted absolutely you come in with with the gospel and you begin to talk to them about god's love and their worth and the beauty of who christ is and begins to feed truth into that story yeah and then they begin to use the truth and write a story it's just beautiful right and that's uh it's an interesting and it's kind of like self-awareness i mean i think it's 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 positive and negative to the point where it's painful sometimes you know it's positive but it's painful because you know but beliefs are so powerful and those beliefs have legs you know something that holds them up and you know when you come in even with the truth it wipes out the legs and that belief falls, which is what needs to yeah. happen. And that's painful. It's painful. Though. Yeah, sure. It's is. painful. And we resist. Well, this, it. this self awareness that you've walked through, no doubt, and, and studying through the Enneagram and different things has helped you probably understand Ginger and yes. Noah and Sim, mm-hmm. you know, and how to go, okay, now here's how my son is and here's how he looks at life and Definitely. maybe interact with him a little differently mm-hmm. than your other mm-hmm. son and, and maybe some conversations and we won't say arguments, but conversations with your wife, you right, know, right. It, it, it helps to, you know, appreciate the differences in one another. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's key. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's really, because my wife and I are very, we're very different. She's, yeah. 
she's much more of a linear thinker mm -hmm. than I am, mm -hmm. you know, and she's a, she's an incredible decision maker. Yeah. I mean, she looks at two options, yeah. A and B chooses A and bam. Right. You know, and I was always like, oh, but she's normally right. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, man, <laughs> it's frustrating. But I'm not a linear thinker. Yeah. You know, I like to feel my way around right. and right. to explore life and yeah. let life come to me as a, you know what right. I mean? So, right. so we're very different. So appreciating our differences has been huge for us, you yeah. know, understanding that, you know, I think we, you know, when it comes to relationships and marriage, we go out and say, oh, I'm just trying to find my soulmate, yeah. the person that's just like me. Very often, what you need is a person who's not like that's you. That's true. Yeah. You know, because exactly you're a much right. better team, then yeah. you're much better together, you that's know, true. but you have to recognize that. And that's hard. You know, sure yeah, it is. yeah, I mean, sure arguments is. come with that, debate, you know, all that stuff, but... But it's really important. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about a new uh, chapter in your life. You're writing, talking mm -hmm. about a story right mm -hmm. now. Uh, all the tragedies that you've you've gone through, the things that you've that you've learned in life, uh, faith, and also personal growth, spiritual mm -hmm. growth, etc. Um, the experiences that you've gone through impacting your life, and you want to take that to a larger audience. You want to take that and help other people who either are there, have been there, you know, haven't worked through forgiveness yet. Right. maybe stuck because of sexual abuse or, or tragedy in their life. So tell us a little bit about your speaking. I know you've spoken here at Forest Park and have done mm -hmm. a fantastic job. People Thank love you. to hear you speak. So what, what do you hope maybe the future looks like? What's some dreams, some goals that you have in the near future? Well, um, it kind of goes back. You know, I mentioned earlier about um, getting to that point in my life where you realize that, yeah, from the world standards, you are successful, and I'm proud of that. I'm happy about that, and I'm blessed. But I always had that something in me that, I don't know, I felt called to do something else or felt like I wanted to do something else. And for so long, I um, I pushed that away. You know, it, it just kind of gnawed at me. So finally, in the last uh, year or so, I've taken some pretty pretty big steps to try to do something about that, to try to I'd like to build some type of business um, mm -hmm. going into the future. My, my, my general goal is that, you know, when uh, my youngest son is a sophomore, when he graduates, you know, maybe I could transition into doing something a little bit differently or yeah. at least part time or maybe full time one day. Um, but it's not just kind of a second half of life thing for me. It's something that's been inside me mm -hmm. for a long time that I have really caused a lot of angst inside me. Um, I enjoy speaking, obviously, and it took me a long time to ever own that, yeah. I guess, you know, because, you know, so long it's like, well, okay, you share your story, so what, or, you know, whatever. But um, I remember the first time I spoke was I was, I, I mean, growing up, I was never a guy who wanted to stand on stage at all. But after my first wife died, I presented a scholarship at her high school um, a few months after that, mm -hmm. and that was the first time I ever got up in front of people and spoke. And look, if I looked at that tape, it was probably terrible. But, I mean, I got up and yeah. I shared that, and that started something that God kind of put in me for a long time. So I've been doing it, you know, for years off and on. I would like to do something where I would speak, coach, and write, mm -hmm. basically, are the three things I'd enjoy Now, doing. life coach, right? Yeah. yeah. I think so, So yeah. come along. What, what would that look like? Somebody's out there. Let's say they're 25, 26 right now or younger. Would you like to work with a younger population, or are you talking about maybe someone who's kind of – in their 30s, 40s, looking at a life change, or what, what's your sweet spot as far as coaching somebody? I'm, I'm, that's still evolving, honestly. Okay. If I had to say right now, I would say probably a person like me okay. would be the number one, my number one client or person I'd go. And like work you with. means someone who's looking at a change in life. Mm -hmm. Okay, feels a disconnect yeah. inside them. You know, um, may, maybe they. I mean, we've all, most people have had a certain amount of success, so yeah. it's not like they haven't been successful mm -hmm. in anything, mm -hmm. but. 
just feels that disconnect inside them and to come at kind of them and, and you know, help them kind of kind of feel that void in their life. Um, um, and I think that, um, and like I said, I'm still working that out and connecting my story to all that because I definitely think part of the things I feel called to do is use the things that have happened to me um, to help people overcome adversity. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really believe in my heart of hearts that adversity in your life can be can be your secret weapon yeah. in a sense in life. And I think we think about it so opposite, you know, that, but, but yet going through that, because I know that's what took me into spiritual growth and personal growth. You know, without that, I would have been probably from your eyes pretty successful, but I was, you know, I would have not had any depth to me, you know, so, so that's what I'd like to do. I yeah. like to speak and impact. Have you thought like about that. writing maybe a book? And just kind of putting, putting your story out there and what you've gone through and what you've learned. I have often thought about writing a book, and that is kind of the list of things that I'd maybe like to do. At this point right now, you know, I'm working a full-time job, trying to build a little something on the side. I think writing would demand just all my time, extra sure. time. So sure. I don't, I'm not ready to put that much time into that yet. But, yeah, eventually I, th- I think I'd like to. Yeah. So I'm building online. You know, I've been working with somebody now, you know, building an online presence yeah. um, and building a website and Good. It, figuring out what direction you want to go. It's, it's yeah. really, di- it's kind of difficult, but it's Well, fun. I'll tell you, you, you've spoken here several times and do a great job. And Thank then, you. you know, if anybody's listening, a pastor or, you know, an educator or something, listen to the podcast and would love for Brad to, you know, come in and uh, speak to students or speak to, you know, adults on a Sunday right. morning even. I mean, you would bring a message of grace and, sure. and love and biblical truth, but also into your story a little bit and just kind of what you've gone through. Right. Uh, we've seen people here at Forest Park respond very well to your story. And I have no doubt they've probably reached out. A few people mm-hmm. reached out and said, hey, Brad, can, I, can you and I get together and talk or yeah. whatever? Because uh, they've gone through similar things and, right. and they've not overcome them. Many right. people are literally, you know, 45, 50, and that closet has stayed, the door on that closet to that tragedy has stayed closed, locked but yet it's affecting their life and, the, and nobody's ever called it out. Nobody's ever even given them hope right. that maybe they can deal with it. So, um, you know, it's great. So if anybody's listening and would love to have Brad come in, I think you would do a great job and uh, sit down and talk, even on a personal level. Sure. Right? It doesn't Absolutely. have to be at a church. There could be somebody listening who goes, you know, I just need to talk to somebody like that. Yeah. And uh, you could do that. So that'd be great. So. Well, well, I've had a couple of, you know, just recently I've, you know, I've always gotten people that have mentioned it before, but I've never really taken it to heart because I was like, okay, got, got it helped or whatever. But right. most recently, I've kind of I've kind of prayed about that, and I've asked God. And just in the last three weeks, has been just incredible confirmations from God. That's I mean, awesome. I had a girl here here at church who yeah. came up to me and mentioned the story, something I said that connected with her that she felt like God spoke to her through. So that was really powerful. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, 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 that's good confirmation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so. absolutely. Well, Brad, what, what does Brad do for fun? What's kind of a day off for Brad look like? If you could just go off and do something and just enjoy yourself, what would it look like? Well, um, you know, over the years, it's been, you know, spending a lot of time with my kids, doing things with my kids. But now my, te- my kids are teenagers with girlfriends and doing their own thing, so it's not as much of that. But um, what I enjoy doing, I play a little bit of golf. I'm not very good at it, but I play a little bit of golf. Um, I still try to stay active, you know, with exercise and sports. I still enjoy playing a little basketball, but I'm getting getting older now. It's getting tougher. But um, So, yeah, I enjoy doing those things. And I, and I really, honestly, I enjoy – 
I enjoy personal growth, man. So, yeah. I mean, a perfect day for me is is sitting back, maybe reading or listening to a great podcast, reading yeah. a great book. Um, Can you tell us a book that maybe recently, even in the last year, that you've really well, would recommend you, to somebody? Or? I, well, I tell you a book that I just um, started listening to yesterday, actually. Okay. I, I drive an hour to work, to right. and from work. So, right. I try to use that time right. as positive time, yep. you know, personal growth time, I call it. Um, I just started listening to a book I've heard a lot of people talk about called The Big Leap, um, uh, um, The Big Leap by Gay okay. Hendricks. Okay. And it's a really... The Big Leap. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's not it's not an overtly Christian book per se, mm-hmm. but it's a really good personal growth book when it comes to talking about how your limiting beliefs mm-hmm. affect your life. And he talks about how most of us do not bust through our upper limit. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when we're kind of called to do something, feel like we want to do something, we, we rise to that point, but we go back to where we think we're supposed to be. Yep. That's been pretty powerful to me. So that's that's the Great. most recent book um, that I've been reading. So Maybe I read somebody all. will pick it up and read it. Yeah, it's a great book. Good deal. Yep. Well, if you could have uh, lunch with anybody, past or present, sit down and just have lunch with them, talk with them, pick their brain, talk to them about where you are now what you've learned or maybe they've gone through something you want to just pick their brain about, you know, how they process it or it could be a family member or if you could have lunch with somebody, who would it be? Hmm. Um, I'm going to give you two. That's okay. okay. Sure. First person, um, of course, you know, obviously everybody would like to sit down with Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, but I'll say the Apostle Paul. Okay. Think about that. Um, because I think to me, I know a lot of people would probably say him, but to me, obviously he's such a fascinating guy, you know, to be so – overtly against Christianity, mm-hmm. have that experience and be changed and be so for it. I would just love to sit down with him yeah. and have him tell me that story, what it was like. Because I think sometimes we assume that like that experience happened to him. So God just laid out a step-by-step yeah. plan for him and he didn't. Yeah, I mean, true. Paul, I mean, the leadership things you could learn from him, how, he, I mean, oh man. I mean, yeah. I think that would be absolutely fascinating. Incredible. Yeah. So, and the second person would be, I'd love at this point to sit down with my dad, Yeah, you know, to have lunch with my dad, you know, knowing, knowing what I know now, and yeah. especially knowing what he knows now, Yeah, you know, um, and not, and, and I don't say that because of just needing reconciliation because I've dealt with that to a large extent, but just, uh, to sit down with my dad and, um, you know, we both see life obviously from a different perspective now, you know, I've learned growing up being a father. And this happens with so many people. There's so many things that we kind of need from our dads that we don't get. Yep. You know? So I've kind of explored that a lot, and I would just love to sit down with him and have a – I think it would be a great conversation. I'm sure it would. Well, Brad, what's the best way for people to contact you if they are interested in knowing more about you and kind of what you're doing and your journey and just – become friends with you whether that's on facebook or yeah you know, I mean, whatever I think, what's I'm the on, best i mean i'm active on you know pretty active on yeah. facebook so mm-hmm. yeah facebook or um i do a little bit of instagram a little bit of twitter stuff like that but yeah. i mean probably probably facebook would be, facebook would be the primary way and soon it's not out yet but i'm i'm in the process of developing my uh website which Good. will be bradhurdle.com okay and um I'm, um I'm excited about that so eventually that will be a good way excellent so. all right well brad thank you so much for being with us on the imperfect leader podcast it's been an honor thank you scott and i want to thank you for the incredible impact that you you've had on my life well love you man i love you too it's an honor take care thanks again for listening to this episode of the imperfect leader podcast as i mentioned at the beginning please go by itunes and give us a five-star rating and share this podcast on facebook instagram and twitter 
Also, I'd love to interact with you. You can reach me by visiting scottneal.me or like my page on Facebook at facebook.com slash scottneal online. I'd love to know what you're thinking and answer any questions you have.